Macworld Podcast number 72, special edition for January 26, 2007. Sponsored by MYOB, small business management software. MYOB helps you to mind your own business smarter. Welcome to another Macworld Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Breen. Today's podcast, like our other recent special edition podcasts, originates from the floor of this month's Macworld Expo. In this edition, Mac luminary Andy Anotko takes the stage to present his 500 things every Mac user should try before they die, or as many as we can get through in 45 minutes. Listening to the session, I'm not sure he made it to 500, but then he talks pretty quickly, and so I may have miscounted. It's an informative and, like everything Andy does, entertaining session. And now here's Andy. Okay. Let us indeed get rolling. This is 500 things every Mac user should try to before they die, or as many as we can get through in 45 minutes, plus whatever good graces I'm going to be allowed by whoever's up next. Uh, let me hide the drawer here. By way of introduction, in case you don't know who I am, my name is Andy Anatko. I'm a columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times and Macworld Magazine and pretty much anybody who's foolish enough to pay me. Uh, I also have a bunch of books out, mostly with uh, Wiley Publishing. They're over at booth number 1144. Uh, my new one is called iPod Fully Loaded. It came out a month ago, and I'm proud to say it's 100% compatible with the iPhone. I have the first iPhone book on the market. Uh, iPod Fully Loaded, I'll be showing you one or two tricks from that book, as a matter of fact, uh, before the hour's out, is all about how to take anything you've got inside your entire world, be them movies, uh, be them newspaper articles, be them email, be them websites, and convert them so that you can enjoy them on your iPod. And it even works uh, on uh, some of these things will even work on an iPod Shuffle or a first-generation iPod, currently available at pleasant prices. I also have a Mac OS X Tiger book, uh, which is doing real well and I'm real proud of. Uh, like I said, head on over to booth 1144, they're right next to the Guitar Center uh, booth if you want to check Check that out. But let's start off hot. Let's start off with the, 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 the A material. Let's start off with the one tip that's going to keep you rooted to the spot for the next thing. I'm going to show you how to use the power of the Macintosh operating system, Tiger, to build a tactical heads-up device navigational display. Build a tactical heads-up display. Yes, exactly. The exact same navigational display found in modern jet fighters, unavailable in Hertz rental cars. Far, far, far superior to get to your destination without crashing into anything that didn't get you steamed to begin with. Here's how you do it. You start off in any word processor. To show you that it works with anything, I'm even going to use text edit. And you simply type out the directions to how to get to where you want to go. And go ahead and make it nice and big and pretty. Whoops. Make it nice and big, make it nice and dark. As a matter of fact, even better, change the page setup so that it works horizontally instead of the other way. And once you've got all your instructions typed out like that, you go to print. We're building a tactical heads-up display. You're going to... I don't know if you... If some of you have uh, older model, ooh, generators. That takes like, like an old flash head. It takes like 10 seconds to start the charge-up process now because you're going to be impressed. Okay, so print that out, but don't print it to an actual printer. Print it to a, uh, excuse me, click the preview button like this, and I think much of you will understand what that means. That means that it, instead of printing it to paper, it'll convert it to a PDF, a portable document format, electronic format, that will be opened inside the preview app. What you do then, select Save As, and this and uh, the preview application, which comes free with your operating system, allows you to save any graphic in almost any other format. So save it as a JPEG. We want it as a bitmap, not with all that fancy text in it. There we go. And now, if we reopen it, we will find that what we have is not a very pretty document, that what we have is actually an ugly bitmap JPEG. But that's okay, because that's exactly what we want. Because if we have a JPEG file, we can use a tool called Flip Horizontal, which turns it into a reflected image. This is the version that we then go and print onto our actual go and paper. And because I did not bring my laser printer with me, it was in my other pants. Even cargo pants have their limits. Kids, take that lesson. I have prepared in an oven what it looks like. You take this mirror image document and you put it in the dashboard of your car. From the inside perspective, this is what you will be seeing. Ooh. You are seeing the principles of optics at work. 
because there is more light on the outside of this piece of glass, excuse me, on one side of the piece of glass than the other one, it will not only give you a reflected image, but a slightly translucent image. Although this looks like it might be distracting because you're staring at it on a big LCD screen like this, trust me, it's just in your shallow depth of field. Every time you want to check what exit it is, what the next signpost is, what the street is, all you got to do is change your focus for one fraction of a second. You'll get that information, and you'll be able to see through it, see that pedestrian that you're about to hit uh, clear as day. It is a tactical, fully functional navigational display, heads-up type, and it costs you all of two cents, which kind of takes us into our next thing, something that I call automationalization. This is some, I'm always amazed that there are folks out there, no matter how long they've been using their Macintosh, have never used the automation features that are built into it. You have a willing, if not eager, dog-like servant inside your Macintosh. They have two names. Name number one is Automator. The name of the second servant is AppleScript. Who has read uh, Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens? Look well upon them. The girl's name is Want. The boy's name, exactly. I like it when one, you know, I, I want to be broad. I want to be ecumenical. Now, notice what, what basically what these two different features do is they allow you to describe a series of steps that you would like your Macintosh to perform on your behalf. It's like having an intern. You just format a list of what you want it to do, hand it over, and it will obey them step by step by step. And I'm going to show you. Now, what did we just do? We just performed a long and tedious series of steps. Let us get Automator to do those steps for us. Automator is an application. You'll find it inside your, uh, inside your applications directory. And this is what you're looking at right here. Uh, most people, when they think about building a script or building a list of instructions for the computer to follow, this is nothing like programming. It is like building Legos. And each one of these Lego bricks has an instruction on it. You stack it together. You're building a tower, building a list. And it works so interestingly. On this column, you have a list of all the programs that you have on your computer that support Automator. They can be automated by Automator. And that includes almost all of them. Over here are the list of all the little building blocks uh, that you can, uh, all the different tasks that each one of these things can do. So if you want to do something that involves uh, find an iTunes item, I, all you got to do is drag it into this little well over here. That's your list of instructions, and suddenly that expands to show you all the different details it needs to know to do this thing you want to do. So but what we have, what we want to do has nothing to do with iTunes. So let's close that out. Okay, step one. We let's see. We took a document and we printed it. So let's see if we type print what this does. Print. Render. Actually, that's exactly what we wanted to do. We click on render PDF pages as images. Remember what we, how we explained that. Then we, we click on the preview button. We're, ten, we're taking uh, something, we're turning into a PDF. So step one, render a PDF page as an image. That looks like exactly what we're looking for. Here's a filled description. Uh, so we'll drag that into this like that. And here we can, ch uh, just as here, we get to choose how we want it converted. Uh, we don't really care, but if we want it to make it look really, really pretty, we can increase the compression level, increase the DPI. We don't really care. Uh, notice at the top and the bottom of this box, these are uh, elements that are going to be, uh, you'll be finding almost every single automator action, as it's called. Up at the top, you see the thing that this, this action needs in order to do its job. What it needs, it needs a PDF file. Good. At the bottom is what it will spit out once it's done its job. It needs image files. Cool. So now we've got our, we've taken what we were going to print and we've turned it into a JPEG image. Now we want to flip it. So how about we type flip, holy cats. Here is, notice how I edited a word to say holy cats instead. I'm not a trained monkey. Or at least I'm trained well enough not to say naughty words when I have a microphone from me. Okay. Now, no, again, let me, let me harp on what I just did. I, I want to do, I want to flip an image. I type the word flip. An automator found the action that needed, that I needed. All I got to do is drag this down here. Now it's giving us a little warning because it understands that someone who's using automator isn't a trained programmer. Uh, anytime that your automator action might do something that's destructive. And remember, what we're telling it to do is take an image file and change it in a really big way. So if it's going to warn us that, hey, this is going to make a big change to the thing that it's going to work on, if you'd like, I can automatically have this, this action work on a copy, a backup copy, instead of the original. We don't care, so I'm going to say, no, please don't add that. Just do it, uh, do it as, as original. Image files, image files, image files. Uh, so now, okay, oh, sorry, click. I want this to flip horizontally. There we go. Now, gosh, oh golly gee, I suppose I want to print something. P-R-I-N-T. Hey, what do you know? Print images. 
drag that down there. And now I've got all the same page setup options I had before. I want to make sure it gets printed horizontally like that. Uh, if I have a bunch of different printers hooked up, I can choose what printer it gets hooked up at. Again, every time you've got an automator action, if it needs to have more information to, to make sure it does it exactly the way uh, you want to do it, uh, it will all back ask you right there. Uh, and then this will simply print the image file. Now, it happens to also spit out an image file that will go will disappear into the sub-ether because we don't really care what it is. Uh, but if we wanted to, we can continue to work on this. But that's actually everything that we want to, we want to do with this. Okay, well... I'm sold, Andy. I'll take three in my size. But how do I actually have this thing running? Well, you can. it works like any other document. I can save this as an automator action, and then every time I open it, I can simply click on this Run button, uh, and it will run those actions step by step by step. But that's only half of the ginchiness of Automator, because Automator, even better than anything else, gives the ability to add new features to the Macintosh. It's almost as if you had Steve Jobs' ear, assuming that Steve Jobs actually wrote everything that was in the operating system. If you said, Dear Steve, I think it would be cool if every single print dialog box could spit out a page in the format of a tactical heads-up display. I saw a demonstration by Andy Anatko about this, and it seems like it both enhanced my sense of lifestyle, well-being, and my productivity, and enhanced my decision to purchase more Macintoshes in the future. Well, you can do that. Instead of saving it as a regular file, you can save it as a plugin. And there are a whole bunch of different plugins. Let me give it a name. Now, watch what I can do. I can save it as a plugin for uh, as a print workflow. And there are a whole bunch of other different ways, I, different places I can save it. Uh, but let's if I save it as a print workflow, look what happens. I'm going to cancel out of this just to save us a little time. Again, I cook this in a 400 degree oven. Watch what happens. I've already saved that before. If I select print under the PDF menu, well, what do you know? There's Hudsucker. If I select this, it will do all those steps and run them for me, step by step by step by step. You'll see, if you look in the very, very top, you see little statuses because it's informing what's going on. If I click the stop button, it will stop doing it. Uh, now, let me see if I set this up right. Nope. Okay. Basically, if I had a printer set up, you would see pages, one page majestically spitting out, there would be another, ooh, uh, please don't all run at once. Uh, but that's exactly how useful Automator is. And that's not the only thing you can do with it. You can also save these things as an iCal alarm. Like, let's say that every week on Tuesday, you take all the different Microsoft Word files you created in the past week, and you want to back them up to your iDisk. Well, actually, no, first, what you want to do is you want to compress them into a single archive file and then send it to your iDisk, and then send you an email reminding you, that, oh, by the way, I moved all those old files someplace else. Again, step, 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 step. What you can do is create that automator workflow and then save it as an iCal alarm. That means that you simply plug in what the date, what the time should be, whether it should recur. And that means that every week on Tuesday at the time you appointed, it will run that workflow. Uh, you can, my desktop is covered up by Windows, which is good news for you because my desktop is a horking mess. Uh, I save files to it. I drag documents onto it. As a matter of fact, you will find a, uh, if we get, if I uncover some windows, you will see a folder called My Desktop is Always This Tidy. That's because every Thursday at 4 o'clock in the morning, I've got an automator action that simply says, take all the files that are on a desktop, create a brand new folder inside the tidy desktop folder with today's date and time, and copy everything that's on the desktop into that folder. That means that at, on Wednesday night, my desktop is still pretty gnarly. Uh, I love to see that cry of desperation uh, that the Finder shows when it's, it's actually run out of places to put icons on the desktop, and now they're like 40 icons all in the one place on, this, on the upper left-hand corner uh, of the screen. Uh, but this way, at least it, it, it cuts it down. And once again, all I had to do was show Automator how to do it once, and that's, that's the last time I ever had to do it myself. And there are other places where you can save as plugins. Again, it doesn't act as something you double-click and run on your own. It acts like it's a brand-new feature that you added yourself. Uh, now, the other thing I'm going to show you is AppleScript, which I really can't demonstrate for you because it's a lot more complicated. This is where you're at. It's more like a programming language. It's a very, very easy-to-use programming language, but that's like saying, wow, 
this bat is great. It hurts much less when someone hits me in the head with it than the metal bat. Uh, you do have to learn how it works, uh, but it is designed so that people who are, again, not technic- not really fascinated by programming can do product- productive things. Like, for instance, uh, I told you about uh, that, little, that little script that I wrote that says, take all of the images on the desktop and do something with them. What do you think the Apple script to, refer- to collect all the images on the If I, if I want to uh, get every image of type JPEG on the desktop, well, guess what? That's Apple script. If I say take every bum 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 on the desktop word for word, that will collect together a list of all the files that are there. Uh, but again, it is a tough process sometimes because it's, it's English language, but I'm from Boston. If I say let's go get a tonic, <laughs> we'll go to Worcester, then Lemonster. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Same language, different planet. So that's, that's uh, sometimes a hassle. But I did want to show you one cool thing. Uh, just to show you how the difference between AppleScript and Automator and also the difference in the level of power, Automator's biggest limitation is that it is obedient, but it is not intelligent. It is obedient, but it's not intelligent. Exactly right. Obedient, but not intelligent. Meaning that if you give it a list, it will follow that list exactly, but you can never give it a decision to make. You can never say, for instance, there's a reason why that automator action, I have to create a new folder to copy all those folders into because I can't tell it, okay, look, if there hap- if there's a document called jpeg. My, my party photo.jpg, if there's already a photo of that name in there, here's what you should do. Automator will just stop dead at that point because it can't make decisions on its behalf. That's when you step up to AppleScript. Let me show you something of their cell phone. It's right there on the floor. Anyone who's saving this for YouTube, I underhanded it across a soft floor. I didn't do like that, that nasty teacher did and smash it against the floor. That guy has anger management issues. That's, there's no, no, no doubt about that. Um, my web blog is actually run completely off of AppleScript. If I, I've got my, my, my usual favorite word processor called bbedit. Let me type something in here. Okay. Now, who here, who, who here has a, their own web blog? A few people. Usually you have to get sort of a complicated piece of software or get an account on blogger.com, lots of user interface. All I've done is taken my regular word processor, typed what I want to put into the blog, and now all i got to do is uh, go to the scripts menu folder, and this is one of the places you can put things in Automator. I've got a whole thing labeled yellow text. That's the name of my web blog. So if I, if I just say cache post to blog, realize that I'm the only user of this, <laughs> so it only has to make sense to me. So if I click on this, it will ask me what the tile should be. I also have another feature that's not in any other blog. Oftentimes, if I'm, if someone, if I'm reading someone's blog posting about a new, they bought a used SX70 camera from Polaroid that they really, really enjoyed, and oftentimes I'll enjoy what they wrote about it, and then I'll Google for SX70 because I want to learn more about it. I like that, so I've added a feature to my web blog software so that every time I create something, uh, so if they click on a link at the bottom, they will get a Google search on those two terms. And now it's automatically reconfiguring the text. It's generating everything it has to generate. It's doing copying things into four different directories. It's writing the files to the disk. That's everything that it did automatically on its own. Now, I always have to be careful when I'm doing demos like this because I never know if there is actually uh, a live Internet connection. Once again, I prepared <laughs> in the oven. And this is my web blog. Everything you see here was done automatically. Oops, sorry. Album art. <laughs> Not my art, album art. Here you go. Everything you see there was generated automatically by AppleScript. I did nothing more complicated than what you saw right there. Actually, there's only one thing that was slightly more complicated. Last month, I wrote a brand new feature because I like talking about my iTunes tracks, and I got sick and tired of every time I do that, copy the artist, copy the title, format them correctly. So I wrote an Apple script that says... Apple script, this iTunes song I'm pointing at right now, please format that properly, get the album art, and make it into a web blog entry, and it does all that automatically. That's just to show you all the things you can do with Apple script, and the reason why, if you're having fun with Automator, that you might want to go ahead uh, and start working uh, and playing with Apple script. If you're, if one of those people who still gets newspapers, all those advertising inserts that you get every day, it's, I guarantee, uh, it's probably a three out of four chance that that car ad or that, uh, news, that grocery store ad was created 100% with Apple Script. They have a database that has all the prices, all the descriptions, all the photos. They click, when they, when they say, okay, it's 1, 10 p.m., they need it in 30 minutes. Is everything locked? Yes. They click one button, and that entire ad is generated automatically by Apple Script. So, 
if it's not impressing you as something that you'd want to do yourself, realize that there are people who are more than willing to take $50 of your money and add a feature that you want and do it as AppleScript. Um, like I said, we're, we're making good progress. We've, we're three tips into 500. Just, just to motor things along, I'll just, that's three, okay. We're cooking. We're, we're, we're making, we're doing good. We're doing real good. Fill your iPod with joy and happiness and DVDs. <clears throat> the app, okay. I'm amplified, but the Apple store, the Apple booth is over there. This thing about buying movies off the iTunes store, I don't get it. Uh, I love the keynote. We all love the keynote. You know that I love the keynote. But when Mr. Jobs was bragging that now the, now the iTunes store has over 300 movies, and I'm, dude, Netflix has 70,000 movies. Uh, <clears throat> but what else are you going to do? Because how else are you going to load uh, video onto your iPod? Well, believe it or not, there are ways to rip a commercial DVD uh, into a file that your iPod can sync and understand uh, using software that is how much? $50? No. $70? No. Free. Yes, that is free. Free, free, free. Free software. Yes, free software that will convert any commercial DVD you own, nearabouts, into a file you can enjoy on your iPod. Don't you want to know how it works? Uh, the magic software, actually the two pieces of software uh, that you can use in combination, uh, one is called Handbrake, and if you Google on the word Handbrake, uh, I'll leave it up there. You will find a link to the download. Basically, when I prepare these slides when I'm giving talks, it's like, do I want people to write HTTP colon backslash backslash dot tilde dot TM sales? Uh, you can spell handbrake. You can't spell my last name, but you can spell handbrake. Uh, iSquint is another one we'll talk about later. Now, the reason why you need special software is that uh, the, the movie companies have done something slightly naughty in their self-interests. They have encrypted the video that's on those disks so that you cannot easily get at the video data or the, or the audio data. The reason why iTunes and all those other music rippers work so well is because there's nothing standing between you and the music on a CD. It's all there. There's nothing, no malarkey going on. You can simply create, uh, take the digital data that's on the CD and convert it to a, a format that iTunes will understand. Now, Unfortunately, now this is, this is, this is hubris. Hubris people. Uh, <laughs> they were so concerned about piracy and secrecy when they developed the scheme for protecting DVDs that they said, no, 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 we're not gonna get scientists involved, people who understand digital encryption protection, we're gonna do this all ourselves because if we tell other people what we're planning on doing, they'll be, they'll build ways to break it. Well, what they did was they didn't have the best people, therefore, looking at this work and saying, no, 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 there's a big freaking hole in this idea and it will only be a matter of time before someone figures out how to exploit it and someone figured out a way to exploit it. So this is how Handbrake works. There are two different versions of Handbrake available. Again, both you can download from, for free from the Handbrake site. Uh, Handbrake nothing is the full version that does, that they'll format the video however you want, it'll make it bigger, it'll make it smaller, it'll crop it down, it'll put whatever track you want on it, all that sort of stuff. Instant Handbrake was created after the video iPod, uh, excuse me, uh, Instant Handbrake was created a little bit later on when there were some people who thought that the full version was a little bit too complicated. So the guy who wrote Handbrake created this thing called Instant Handbrake that does one thing only, DVD in, iTunes file out. It is literally just this simple. Uh, you pop in the DVD, you will see that the name of the DVD will pop up somewhere in this list. If you have more than one DVD player, uh, DVD hardware installed, it will let you choose between them. Uh, then you click on the continue button, go to next step. This is the only thing you have to do yourself because there's no file that says, hey, everybody, convert this thing. This is the file you want to convert because this is the file that has the movie on it. So what Instant Handbrake does is it will take, a, it will make a list of all the different titles it finds on that disc. And I sort of know intuitively, once again, not a monkey, uh, that one hour, the, 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 the track that's one hour and 32 minutes that happens to be the exact same running time as Monsters, Inc., that's probably the one that I want. You also have some options you can do. Uh, select a file format if you want it to be full screen. You can also chop it down to make it a little bit smaller. Uh, there's also a nice little feature, preferred audio, because so many of your DVDs have multiple commentary tracks. Uh, so you can basically just take, if you just want the director's commentary, you can take, you can say don't use the main soundtrack, use the director's commentary instead because the video file will only have one soundtrack. It won't have multiple soundtracks. And it will even embroider subtitles on it uh, if you want to. And then you just click on the convert button, uh, and that's, and that is literally it. It will grind and grind and grind, metaphorically, not literally, 
But grind and grind and grind on this because it is doing an ungodly amount of math. Uh, you just think about what ancient mathematicians did when they realized that their math mathematics systems weren't working and they suddenly needed the number zero to solve some problems. We need some new numbers to handle the problem of having to decrypt, reconvert, transcode, and write video uh, from a DVD. If you have a G4 or G5, an hour and a half long movie will probably take you about three or four times the running time uh, to convert. If you have a really spiffy desktop Intel, it will do it at one-to-one speed or even less. A 90-minute movie might even take about an hour to convert. Uh, it depends on what options you're doing and how you're having it converted. But the result will be a QuickTime file that you can then throw directly into iTunes, and then it will sync directly uh, onto your iPod. And I, out of, I've, I know now that I have 311 DVDs in my personal library because uh, I've, they're in, my, in my personal uh, bookshelf because I now have 311 QuickTime files. Uh, <clears throat> Out of 311 DVDs, I've only found one, one, yes, exactly one, that did not convert using Handbrake. i got to assume that they did something silly uh, with the DVD that would make it break on any player. But the, uh, I'm not going to show you some sample images, uh, because, but trust me, uh, if you convert it at full size, it is pretty much just as good as a DVD. It's going to be better than the quality of what you'd buy on the iTunes store. And once again, all you have to do, American copyright law says that you only have to pay for the movie once. If you buy it on DVD, I'm going to to take 45 seconds on this because this is actually very interesting. Uh, Copyright law is actually contradicts itself on whether or not this is legal. Uh, On the one hand, it says explicitly, word for word, in a case that was decided where the Sony Betamax came out in the early 80s, that if you purchase a movie or an album or something on one format, you are allowed to make copies for lots of specifically outlined reasons, including if you buy it, if you buy a, a, a if you buy a, a an album on CD, you're allowed to make a copy onto tape if you bought the CD to begin with. Similarly, this applies to this: if you bought it on DVD, you're allowed to convert it to another format. Okay, good, we're in the clear. Well, maybe no, because the revisions to the copyright law about eight years ago said that if uh, material is encrypted, if something technology has been used to protect it, it's illegal to try to take off that that encryption. So basically, we've got rock'em sock'em robots about which one of these two laws takes precedence, and the movie industry does not want this to go to court because if they lose, that is the ball game for them. So basically, do not, do not. I'm not being. I'm not being nudge nudge wink wink about this do not borrow movies from friends or from netflix and rip them really uh, i do believe the copyrights are important but if you've already paid 13 dollars for monsters incorporated on dvd there's no reason to buy another copy of it to get it on your ipod especially when uh, uh handbrake works so well uh i did mention another program called iSquint, which is a really cool piece of software to have because there are other utilities for converting dvds and converting videos there are little quirks, tiny little quirks that the iPod expects to see in order to play that movie correctly. I was so frustrated when I got my first fifth-generation video iPod because I've already had, I was already using Handbrake for like months and months and months. And I was copying Star, all the Star Wars movies, all the, all the Raiders of the Lost Ark movies, all the Lord of the Rings movies. And occasionally they wouldn't copy over because there was some sort of little quirk that wasn't formatted quite correctly. iSquint is great because it is a big hopper at the top, software speaking, and a little spout at the bottom. It takes whatever you throw into it and converts it to a format that the iPod will understand, assuming that you already have the video file to begin with. Uh, but what you can use iSquint for is if when you have uh, uh, just the other day, there are two hours worth of uh, Museum of the Living Image interviews with Jack Lemon. It is one of the best things I've ever found uh, on Google Video. Ordinarily, if there's not a specific download this link uh, on the page, you can't download it. Uh, but there are ways around that. It's in the iPod fully loaded book. But basically, if you download the video in a different format, iSquint will convert it to QuickTime and convert it to iPod format. Uh, it's not as in- ungodly useful as Handbrake, but there are times that you're, if, if you ever find yourself in a situation where, gee, I think this should be able to work on the iPod, but it doesn't, run it through iSquint. It's just as simple to use as Handbrake, uh, and you'll have it working. We'll be back with Andy after this message from our sponsor, MYLB. What do Mac small business owners want from their business management and accounting software? MYLB knows they want the same features that their Windows using counterparts do. That's why their premium small business management and accounting software for the Mac, Account Edge, offers fully integrated payroll, multi-user access, and credit card processing, same as their Windows version. Because sometimes we don't think that differently. 
To learn how MYOB can help your small business, visit myob-us.com. MYOB. Mind your own business. Smarter. And now, from Andy Anatko's lips to your ears, more things that every Mac user should know before they die. Okay, now we're up to four. Now, waitresses are delivering sandwiches that are half done. Buy hardware at precisely, yes, precisely the right time. The right time is never when you have the money in your hands. I'm sorry, but that's true. There's a reason why they keep the $1 bill in circulation. That's because they can sense when you're headed to the Apple Store or Best Buy and make sure they've got last week's computers and hold off on introducing the cool new computer in its place. There are some things you can do to sort of protect yourself. If you decide that you're in the the market for a new iPod or a new iMac and you want to make sure that you either don't get skunked by buying a model, uh, you know, a month and a half before the new one comes by, or you make sure that you're taking advantage of a good deal. There are a few tricks you can sort of rely on. Uh, first and foremost, Apple usually relies on certain specific predictable windows to release new hardware. January Expo, always a white bullet uh, time to release new hardware because Daddy's going to be up there in front of 7,000 people in the world press. You got to give Daddy something shiny to show off to the nice people. Uh, so that's usually when new things are going to come out. If you're looking for, it's a little bit unusual that the iPhone got got uh, they used it for. Excuse me, that the iPhone came out in January because usually iPods get released in September. The reason for that is that it's a holiday gift purchase. They want to make sure that Best Buy and all the Apple stores and everybody has got as many of them as they can handle, and they got as many people interested in buying new iPods as possible. So, again, if it's August and you're thinking about buying an iPod for someone as a gift, take a picture of an iPod, put it on a very nice card. I like the Snoopy cards myself, you know, <laughs> and wait a month because you'll probably be surprised by September or October there'll be new stuff coming out. Uh, there is a corollary for iBooks and lower-priced iMacs. Apple likes to come out with new iBooks, uh, excuse me, new MacBooks. My God, I, that, that man must be older than 19 years old. He's still referring to the PowerBooks as iBooks, MacBooks as iBooks and PowerBooks. Uh, Apple likes to, re- to, uh, to uh, release notebooks and affordable computers by May. There's a reason for that, because that's the ordering deadline for all the school systems and all the universities that are ordering like hundreds and hundreds of these for their computer labs. So if you're thinking about buying something that's not a high-end machine and it's August, you are probably safe, because August is probably the safest time to buy it, because if they were coming out with something new immediately, they probably would have released it in May, and they're probably not going to be releasing anything new in January. Realize that these are just rules of thumb. They're always doing, if, if it's something that doesn't merit a big announcement, like, well, right now we, 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 we introduced an 18% speed bump, and now you get 20 gigs more on the hard drive. Well, they can do that at any time. Uh, realize, though, that, again, you always have a big chance of getting skunked, so you just got to uh, spin the wheel and take your chances. One thing that you can do, uh, though, is... Pay close attention. If you go to, if you think about buying something, don't go to the retail Apple store. Go to the online Apple store first. Like if I'm buying myself, a, I want to buy a top of the line new 20 inch iMac. I go to the online Apple store first. If they tell me that there's a three or four week wait, tip off. Because usually when, when Apple knows they're releasing something brand new shortly, they start to pull back or they start to either heavily discount their machines to get rid of them or they're not going to take new orders for something that they know they're not going to be able to ship. The problem is, though, Apple.com knows that this is happening. Apple.com also knows that they shouldn't ship any more from the warehouse, but your local Apple store might still have four or five of them. Uh, and again, they're not, the people at the Apple store are not trying to rip you off. They usually don't know about this either because, again, uh, they're good, hale and hearty men and women of conscience. If they knew that there's going to be a $500 price decrease in 10 days, they probably would tell you, please come back in 10 days. But once again, if you go to the Apple store and you see a long delay for shipping, that usually means that this item is going to be replaced soon. It also means that if you hunt around, you can start getting good deals on the old equipment because, once again, they want to make sure they don't have old stock on hand. A, a, a really big price drop suddenly is another big tip-off that maybe they're considering either revising this or coming out with something that's going to replace it. But the bottom line is, if you need a new computer now, buy it now. Uh, if you can afford to wait, there's always a benefit to affording to wait. But realize that if you follow this algorithm religiously, you're still going to be using a Mac Plus and swapping your 3.5-inch floppy drives every 8 seconds. And that, my friends, is no way to live. Okay, six. 494 to go. And 15 minutes left. We're going we're gonna to do it. I want you all to read along with me. Back up your data. 
those of you who cannot see where this voice is coming from, you are the only one who can hear this. This is your conscience. This is the universal force that wants you to be happy and wants you to be a success in life. And I've chosen this moment to violate every law of physics to put this one thought inside your puny mortal mind. Back up your data. Personal story. I lost 120 gigabytes of data. My hard drive failed. It failed egregiously. It failed completely. It dissolved into component molecules, and even then, it wasn't. Su- it wasn't. Su- it wasn't suffice. It was breaking the, com- the component molecules into atoms and the atoms into quarks. And then there was this weird sort of causality thing going, man, that I can't pretend to understand. Suffice to say, it was a really bad hard drive crash from which no recovery was possible. What? How did I respond? Cool, my hard drive crashed. Snow day. Because I have backups every single night. Every night as I sleep. I'm not kidding you. That's not night. That means as I sleep is 6 in the morning to noon. So every morning <laughs> while Regis and Kelly are doing whatever they're doing, uh, my computer is backing up every scrap of data to a backup drive. It becomes a snow day because all i got to do is take another drive out of storage, hook it up, restore it to this new drive, and then now I have exactly where I was the night before. I lost maybe three emails out of the entire deal. And, of course, since it takes like two or three hours to restore, hey, I can't use my computer. Let's go see a movie and go get waffles. Uh, so turn turn a downside into an upside. But like I said, realize that I didn't care because I had a backup. Every time I buy a new PowerBook, I copy the documents folder from the old PowerBook. So at this point, it contains not only everything I've written over the past 13 years, but everything I've even thought about writing and never finished over the past 13 years. If I lost it all, I'd be a farmer right now because I could not think to start all over again uh, new in life. And backing up, backing up data is actually very, very simple. Um, if you've joined, if you have a .Mac account, it comes, you, know, you get a free prog- Apple utility called Backup, which is very, very good. Uh, my favorite backup utility is an app called Super Duper. It costs all of like 20 bucks. You can download a free version that will back up all your data. It just doesn't have all the extra, extra special features. And this is the entire user interface. No scripts, no menus, no helper applications. You say copy from here to this external drive here. I want you to back up everything. If you just want to back up your photos, just back up your document files. You can specify a subset. And then copy now means yes, right now. Don't wait. Do it right now. If you click on this button, schedule, then you simply say make sure you back up every morning at 3 o'clock in the morning. It is that. And then once you do it once, you never have to think about it ever, ever again. Uh, hard drives, they have never been cheaper than they are right now. Uh, over the, I mean, uh, I bought a 100 gigabyte drive for $58, a pocket size, three and a half inch drive, just because I've never seen them that cheap before, and I have no need for it, but hey, extra hard drive. You can easily buy a desktop drive that will back up every scrap of data on your iMac or on your PowerBook, and it won't cost you more than 100 bucks or $110. No, certainly no more than a dollar per gigabyte. And the first time it puts your, pulls your butt out of the nasty place where your butt has landed itself, you will say, Office Max, you're, you don't know why I'm giving you an extra $90, but I need to give you this extra $90. You really came through for me when you sold me that hard drive. Share, sorry, share the world. There are so many different sharing features in, in the Mac OS that people are, sh- people think that, my God, you're some sort of ninja Jedi Mac stud to have installed this software that pulls these ungodly features. No, they're built in. There is a system preference that is actually called sharing. Try cl- clicking it sometime. Most people are familiar with personal file sharing. If you select personal file sharing, then there's a folder inside your computer called public. Uh, that means the, uh, uh, public and shared. That means that files that are on there uh, could be copied by anybody else who's also on that same network. So if you've got your own office computer in the living room, you've got a, your power book upstairs in the bedroom, your kid has their own computer, you'll be sharing files just that easily. However, not many people have tried printer sharing, which is insanely awesome. Here's how it works. If you have a standard $80 Come see our timeshare and get a free photo printer, <laughs> cheap printer that works off of USB. All you have to, and it's already plugged in, all you have to do is click that checkbox that says per, uh, printer sharing. And magically, I cannot stress this enough, magically, every computer inside your house 
when they hit the print command, they will see that printer within their print dialog box, as though it was printed locally. Tiger will fix it all for you and make it all work. They can print from any computer. It automatically configures itself. It automatically routes itself. And printers, you know, you'll just be working. You'll wonder why, gee, Uncle Howdy, why are you printing magical pages out of my printer? And then your kid will come tripping in, saying, oh, sorry, Dad, I needed to print this report. Uh, cost you nothing, and it works great. Now, how many of you are in hotels right now? What is the most amount of money you've ever spent for Internet access? I bet I top you all because my record is at a luxury hotel in London. When you factor in the exchange rate, I paid $51 for one day of Internet access. And I spent that time emailing everybody saying, here's the reason why you're not going to hear boo from me for the next four days. Uh, I mean, the problem is that... (laughs) You've, there might be two or three people staying together in the room, and maybe you've got adjoining rooms, and you know you got to unplug that one little uh, networking cable that's tethered onto the desk with one foot of cable. Uh, if you if if your friend wants to get a, get his email going, well, you don't have to do that because any internet connection you've got on your Mac can be shared. You can if it's squirting in through one place where internet can come in, you can spray it out through any other hose. All you got to do is click on internet under sharing. And it really is this simple. You just click on from this pop-up where the interconnection is coming from. Uh, for instance, in the hotel, I've got it coming in wired via, via Ethernet. And then I say, please squirt it out through my airport. This will turn your computer into an airport base station. You will not. You don't even know that there's anything going on. You don't know that anything's slowing down. It's just that suddenly everybody inside your room can now get an internet connection without paying $23 for it. Everybody in the room next to you, assume that they're friends, <laughs> can get an internet connection without paying money for it. Uh, and it has the same sort of uh, abilities as a regular airport base station. If you want to add security onto it so that's not visible to everybody, you can do that. And you can do it, again, in any direction. Uh, I had it on Bluetooth set before because that's probably the last time I demonstrated this. You can actually... There, there have been times when my group has been so desperate for an internet connection that I have taken... I've taken my 3G cell phone, <laughs> my my cell phone that connects to the, the, the singular network at about 100K speeds, a little faster than dial-up, okay, connected it, paired it to my laptop via Bluetooth, and then said, take the Internet connection that's coming off of Bluetooth and turn it, uh, uh, turn it into an Ethernet connection. So I plugged an Ethernet cable in, and suddenly this big, powerful, $3,000 uh, MacBook, 17 inches, is being run off of a cell phone that I paid like $60 for. So, in from anywhere, out to anywhere. I'm going to move on. There, there, there are other things you can do. By, by all means, start exploring the sharing menu because you will not believe all the things you can do just by clicking one single checkbox. Okay. We got three or four or five minutes to continue. Again, faith in whatever thing you place faith in. Pimp your apple very lightly. Okay. Actually, this is, this is, a, this is a good quick one. You notice that on the back of my power book, I've got a big number seven. Uh, any Who fans in the audience? Yes, I stole the idea from Pete Townsend, who has all his concert guitars have numbers, so the sound guy knows what you know what board it's running through. And I thought, well, gee, if Pete, if Pete Townsend can have numbers on his guitars, I can have a number on my power book. Uh, but there's a reason why it's there, because the first time that I flew after the new security uh, measures I put in place after September 11th, you know, I didn't. I'm not used to taking the power book out of my backpack before, put it on the tray, and then did it. Did, did as I was told, and then I looked with my horror to see that there are three identical titanium power books making their way through the machine, and God knows what will happen if I grab the wrong one. So it's actually a very, very good idea to put some sort of identifying mark on on your machine uh, to make sure you can separate it from the rest of them. It also makes it a little bit more theft-proof because that's easier to trace and easier to uh, and easier to get by. Um, I'm also going to introduce you to something. Unfortunately, I was going to I was going to give you people. We'll, we'll make this a raffle thing. And by raffle, I mean I'm just going to give it to whoever I want to give it to. Um, if you go to the, if you go to Fox Hardware, they have two things I absolutely love when I get new hardware. One of them is. One of this is, the, is this 3M carpet tape. It's a non-stick tape. It sticks like a bulldog and has like a little rubber nubby thing uh, on the other side of it. And what you can do with it is, if you've got an iPod, how many times have you tapped the brake slightly and sent your iPod shooting off the side? Well, all you got to do is stick it on the back of your iPod. It will not go any place. Uh, and you also notice that it's exactly the right width of an iPod. 
Uh, that's plastic on plastic. But normally, when I when I've got this going uh, on my uh, when I'm watching movies uh, uh, on a plane, it won't slide off of whatever hockey puck or whatever I've, I've slept it onto. This will keep it from moving wherever you want to go. Uh, you'll also get the same benefit when you stick it on the back of a power book because it will not slip off your lap if you give the cord a little bit tug it will not dislock again it's not it's not you're not locking it down there but at least it'll give some resistance the thing i love about it when you put it on the bottom of a power boat because i'm normally like on my sofa barefoot and i've probably got a scar the size of a big crescent moon on my heel right there because that's where the back part of this white hot plate hits but if you put this on the back of it you'll have some amount of insulation uh, on the back of it that will uh, that will help you out a lot uh so Again, what I wanted to do was cut this into strips and give it away. You, it takes a lot of courage to sit in the front row, so by all means. You have enough to do about 40 iPods, three power books, and what the heck, if, if you've got elderly relatives, take care of the stairs, too. Uh, I like this stuff, too. This is metallic. reflect. Actually, I'm going to keep this because this is too cool. Uh, again, if you go down to Fox Hardware right, right across the street from uh, the, uh, from the uh, Marriott Hotel, they've got that. That's where I bought these. Each one of these is like a buck per foot. Uh, and, again, you put reflective tape on the front here. Uh, and you know, again, people kind of understand that. Okay, that's Andy's. That's Andy's one. That's not mine. Uh, it also means that if they, if you borrowed this from somebody, this machine, they're probably not going to want back because now you've just destroyed the machine. Okay, that will take too much time. I will just tell you, this is a wonderful utility called Disk Utility that will do two things for you. I wanted to demonstrate them. I thought I had an hour. It turns out I have a 45 minutes to 50 minutes. So I'm going to build a word picture, just like Lucasfilm. <laughs> the, 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 you know, pretend we're around the fire and I'm the old, weird-looking guy with the, with the frizzled hair. Uh, disk utility is underused by people. Uh, most people think that it's, the, it's a data recovery utility that will bring your hard drive back. Sometimes it will do that. Oftentimes it will not. But it has two features that you should really enjoy. Uh, I want you to look at the top of my screen here. Can you see it, though? No, you can't. Okay. All of the hard drives that are inside your your, uh, your portable computers and your desktop computers, the hard drives themselves have a technology called smart technology. That's the ability of the hard drive to keep judging its own performance. To say, wait a minute, I'm reading a lot of bad sectors now. Wow, normally my transfer, I get to move, I can move data a lot faster. I sense that this this plane is going down. I can, you know, that the, the hard drive is still working, but somehow I'm getting worse and worse and worse. I need to warn the user that you need to back up your data now and throw out this hard drive and replace it with something new because I'm going to go 100% critical very, very soon. Now, <laughs> wow, a distant early warning device that shows me that I should do, I should do something right now to prevent a disaster from happening. That's incredible information. How am I going to notify the user? Well, my idea, sir, is that we'll have a utility called a disk utility, and we'll make it a line of text amongst the 18 line of lines of text at the bottom of the window. So if people no, happens to know what smart status means, and they look at it and they understand what the words mean, then they'll get the message. Because I'm sure everybody's just like me. I'm a nerd, and I check that every 30 seconds. Well, okay. Uh, Every now and then it's good to check that. Just open up Disk Utility. It will say smart status. We'll actually say failing. And when it says failing, believe it. It's not, they're not just trying to get you to buy a new hard drive. It is failing. There is, unfortunately, uh, you can't see it. Uh, if you go on to, uh, if you go on to, uh, versiontracker.com or macdownload.com, any source of Macintosh uh, software, you can actually get a little status display that goes into your menu bar that if it's a green box, it means you're perfectly okay, don't worry about it. The moment it turns red, you know, uh-oh, smart status is failing, I need to do something about it right now. There's a second thing that, again, I really wish I could demonstrate for you. Disk images. How many people here know what a disk image is? You've almost all used one at some point. When you download software, sometimes it's not a, an application that you double-click. It's actually something that appears uh, in the sidebar of your finder window as though you've plugged in a hard drive. That's because the OS has the ability to take a file that's been specially prepared and treat it as though it was uh, an actual hard disk or an actual key drive or something like that. Uh, disk utility has the ability to create these images, and there's so many different ways you can exploit this. I'll give you two sensational examples right now. I don't use the file vault utility, the file vault feature on my machines because, uh, uh, the, the, the Mac OS can encrypt automatically every piece of data as it's written to your drive and automatically decrypt it when it's removed, when, when it's uh, read from your drive. There are two big problems with that. If your hard drive goes south, nice people like drive savers can al almost always recover it. But if it's been encrypted, that's it. The game, ball game's over. There's nothing they can do about it. Very few, 
I don't know of any standard utilities that can handle encrypted volumes and recover data from it. Also, there's a performance hit involved. What you can do, though, is you can create, for, for the sort of files that are important enough that you'd want them encrypted, that you don't want people to be able uh, to copy them off your hard drive, you can create a disk image and click a checkbox that says, please use encryption on this disk, on, on this disk image. So, if you have a disk image that, has, that's, that says financial data for 2007, what you do is it's a file on your hard drive. All the data inside it is encrypted. If you double-click on it, the OS will ask for a password, a big, long password. And only if you give it the right password will it mount as a disk. As, as, a, as a disk. And from that point on, where you can copy files into it, edit files out of it, when you're done with it, you simply eject it, and now it's all secure again. Uh, another thing I use it for, because unfortunately I don't have a one-terabyte hard drive in here, and I have a Nikon D80, a kick but my favorite camera in the entire world, the Nikon D80. Give me a second one. Nikon, are you listening? Give me a second one, second one. B&H, I'll take one from B&H, the second one. The problem is, though, it shoots 10 megapixel images. Each picture is like 20, uh, 20 megabytes. Uh, and I just don't have enough room to store all of them on my hard drive. So what I need to do is, you know, every time I get enough to fill a DVD, I burn, it, I burn my iPhoto library onto a DVD. Well... What do I do? Do I keep checking the, the iPhoto, iPhoto library folder to see when it's getting big? No. I simply create a disk image that's labeled photos from October. You can specify how big you want this disk image to be. You can say, please make this the size of a standard DVD. And that's where I copy all my f photos onto. When the, when the Mac tells me, I'm sorry, there's no more space on this disk image, that means great, I can just drag uh, right inside a disk utility, click on the disk image, click on burn, it gets burned onto a DVD, I know it will fit, and now I'm done. There's so many ways you can use disk utilities. Start messing around with it. I will see if I can give you one more, because they're probably going to want to boot me soon. Actually, let's make lots of progress. Hey, check me! I'm giving out wings! Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Well, it wasn't a good joke. Well, when it comes to the as I am to public. Okay. Uh, no. Speech utilities, some cool things there. Uh, remember I, I showed you all those really cool things you can do with AppleScript and Automator? Imagine if you save that action as back up all my files and then shut down. If you put a file with that name in this thing called the, the, the speakable items folder and you have the speech feature turned on, all you have to do is say, computer, back up all my files and then shut down, and it will do it. Uh, speech is not as good on the Mac OS as it is with other, uh, with other computers, but there are some cool little things you can do with it. Too much time, too much time. Okay, I'm going to take my, <laughs> unfortunately I put all the things that are time consuming at the very end and we got five minutes left. So instead I'm going to plug my own stuff once again. Uh, once again I got two books I think you'll probably enjoy. If you go down the Wiley booth near the Guitar Center store, iPod fully loaded, all the tips I talked about for converting stuff, and I haven't even started talking about all the stuff you can do. Take all your email and turn it into a podcast that you can listen to in the car. Uh, I also have a book on Tiger. A lot of the tips you find in here are also in the Tiger book. I have a whole section on, I believe, uh, disk utility. Uh, but like I said, I hope I gave you at least one or two things that you're going to enjoy, but definitely take with you the heads-up display tip because I, I cannot tell you how... <laughs> I've been in first date situations, holy cats, Andy, you're not married? Well, no, I'm not married, uh, <laughs> where we're trying to drive someplace complicated and no date has ever been more, has ever been more impressed by a GPS device than by the fact that I took this out of the glove box, put it in the dashboard, and they noticed there are letters hovering above this man's face. This is the man that I want to marry. Or at least that's, that's implied in the, in the, the looks they give me. Anyway, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I'm going to be here for another few minutes while as I pack up. If you've got any more questions, by all means come up. Thank you very, very much. And that wraps up this Macworld Special Edition podcast sponsored by MYOB, Small Business Management Software. MYOB helps you to mind your own business smarter. I'd like to thank Andy Anatko and, of course, you for listening. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, Mac, iPod, iPhone, and technology news, views, and information at Macworld.com. See you next time.